We've looked at the fact that there is great need in the world. There is great poverty in the midst of a time when, from a wealth standpoint, we are a richer world than we have ever been. We've looked at all of these issues in the context of what does God's word say? But ultimately, God's word from page one to the very end of the book when he says amen is a story of an invitation to live differently than the sinners that have yet to meet Jesus. It's an invitation to trust that God is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he's done, and that we have life that is nothing like what this world can imagine apart from him. But in living and thinking differently like that, it means we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And all week as I wrestled with this text, knowing that this was the big finish for our Inside Out series, I wondered what is the best way to finish. And uh, I've been reading through a book that covers much the same topics by David Platt. And in that book, he elucidates very well on these three questions that we'll look at today. But before we do, I want to start with an even simpler question. If I were to ask you right now, and please don't let yourself give the Sunday school answer that you know is right, and don't answer out loud. That should give you freedom to answer this transparently in your heart of hearts. But in your heart of hearts, If I were to ask you right now, what's that one thing in life that you can't live without? What would it be? That one thing. We all have it. Don't misunderstand. We all have it. It might be your children. But my children are plural. One thing is one thing. An entity can be one thing in this case. Might be your spouse. Might be your job. Could be your car. You might have a really nice car, your home. The list goes on. But in your heart of hearts, what's that one thing that drives you, that defines you, that pushes you forward? Because ultimately, at the crux of these verses that we're going to look at today, that was the question. And Jesus says, I'm the answer. And we're really good at talking about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we can be very uncomfortable when it comes to these verses. When it comes to this truth that what Jesus invites us into is radically different than the world we live in. When Jesus invites us to follow him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it best. He said, Jesus invited us to come and die. Everybody else says that we're charged with making the most of this life we have right now because this is all there is. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And Jesus is saying, this is just the beginning. You're living for eternity. And these are in direct opposition with each other. If the world says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, and Jesus is saying, live with the kingdom in mind, there will inevitably be tension. And we are finding ourselves in the reality of these tensions. So as we progress today, in the back of your minds, I want you to keep considering, what's that one thing? 
And as we progress, I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. So I'm going to pause and let's pray. Lord, may the meditation of our hearts, the thoughts of our minds, the words of our mouths, the actions of our hands be solely dedicated to you. May my words be few and yours cut us to the core. In this we pray. Amen. Well, just to make sure you heard me at the beginning of the service or if you might have come in fashionably late, please don't forget next Sunday is different. Next Sunday, we are going to have a party of a worship gathering out at the Wukai Sha Youth Village. Well, where is it at? Wukai Sha. If you don't know how to get to Wukai Sha, I'm going to make it really easy for you. You go to Hong Hum Station. You get on it. You go to Taiwai and you look for the train that says Wukai Sha. You ride that till you get there and then you walk out and you keep going straight. But we'll make it even easier for you. You come to church on Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. You join us for a great day of considering how Jesus taught us to pray. And then at 3.30 p.m., we'll get in buses that we provide so you don't even have to think about a train. And you can ride with us out to camp. And you can have a great night where we're going to enjoy fellowship together. We're going to play family feud together. I've got a plan. And we're going to have a great evening. And then maybe you can't come on Saturday, but you can come on Sunday. If Sunday's your day, meet right here at 9.15. Show up at church. You'll receive a special prize when you get to church just for showing up. Because it's our 10th anniversary and we want to celebrate. And very few people know what this surprise is. So if you know, shh. But then we're going to worship together. And we're going to consider what does it mean when we cry out asking, God, can you hear me now? Even Adele, who hasn't sung a song in three years, the title of her song is Hello, and the first line of it is, Can You Hear Me Now? Even Adele is committed to our retreat. If you know who Adele is, she's a famous singer that had some vocal problems, and she's back. But my point is, one, don't come to church here at 1045. You'll be by yourself. And you can worship the Lord great. Enjoy that. But we would love to have you with us at Wukai Shah. Uh, please, if you can, sign up in the back. That would help us with numbers and make sure that we have the buses uh, prepared for that. One other thing. As we've gone through this series, I've given you ways to partner, ways to consider getting involved in the mission of God and what he's doing around the world. And some of you may remember one of our elders whose name was Howard Robinson. He preached earlier this year. Well, he had three kids that grew up in our children's ministry, grew up in our youth ministry. And the oldest of those is Lance Robinson. And Lance has committed to going on a missions trip to a location that he he cannot tell because it's uh, in what's called a restricted access country. And he's going with a group that's an offshoot of Campus Crusade for Christ. And what he'll be doing there is he'll be walking along, he'll be studying the local language while at the same time evangelizing where he is. But he needs some financial support to the tune of about 2,000 New Zealand dollars. So he wrote AIC and asked, would we be willing to partner with him? AIC has said, yes, we would. We'd like to do that. But if you would like to personally do that on your offering 
envelopes or just in a note put down uh, for Lance Robinson, and we will make sure he gets those funds as he serves the Lord uh, in a restricted access environment. He has stepped out in faith. We love sending out our people. Yes, he lives in New Zealand now. He's still our kid. We still love him and we're proud of him and we're excited to see what God is going to do. So if you'd like to support, if you'd like to consider what it means to partner with those that are going into all the world and give sacrificially, let's do it. Let's make sure Lance has everything he needs to follow where God has led him. Because you see, Lance has counted the cost. And when he looked at it and when God gave the invitation for Lance to go, Lance said, yeah, That's what I'm supposed to do. I will trust God with every detail of my life. And I will see what he has for me. Not only that, we have a group of teenagers and adults right now uh, just across the border serving with Glow in the Dark Ministries. They've been there since Friday and they continue on. And all I've heard is that God is at work. I don't know what's gone on. Obviously, there's some restrictions with what we can hear. But God is at work. Let's keep praying as they finish strong this morning and this afternoon before they return. We had a great report that I already told you about last week where three people came to know Jesus and marriages were helped tremendously through the marriage retreats that went on uh, in another part of the world uh, with the partnership of the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, worldwide. God is at work using people that have said, God, here's my life. It's yours. I'm a mess. But out of that mess, you can make something great because you're God and I'm not. So today, what's that one thing? What does it mean to live an inside-out life? I'm going to try to keep my words pretty simple. And I'm going to invite you to consider carefully what God might have you respond with as we progress through this. Jesus who often when he spoke, spoke the truth, but it often came in such a creative, almost gentle way that you were just amazed by the profound creativity he could communicate great theological truth. This is not one of those times. This is where he just communicates the truth by laying it out there and being what we call blunt. There is no mystery here in this text. I don't need to go through and explain all the intricacies of what Jesus is saying because it's pretty much dead on, straightforward, exactly what he said. Now, he said it in a different language and I'm going to communicate it in English and you can read it. But Jesus says, as someone says uh, earlier in, in the book of Luke, Uh, The doctor reports a story where one man says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus has already invited these people to follow him. And they're talking about, and that's kind of the rest of the theme of the book of Luke. And in so doing, we get to chapter 14 and a crowd is gathered. And you'd think Jesus might say one of his profound statements that he said elsewhere. But instead, he looks at the crowd with almost an exclusionary message, like one that excludes a vast number of people. And he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What do you you mean, Mike, whoever does not carry your cross? Well, 
What was the cross the ultimate symbol of? Death. Not, not what Jesus did on the cross, but in that day and age, simply, the cross meant death. And it meant gruesome and horrible and painful and unpopular and very public death. And before Jesus has even gone to the cross, he looks out at this crowd, these same crowds that he has looked on with compassion, and he says, it's time for you to understand what it means to follow me. And this is what he says. He says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Fast forward 2,000 years, if you will. America, if you looked, if you bought a study Bible in the 80s and 90s, you would go to the back and it would have this colored map of the world and it would show how much of the world was Christian, okay? And you would look at places like China where it was probably under 10% or North Korea where it was under 1% or these different places. And then you would get to America where people had reported being a Christian and the number would be staggering like 75% of Americans are Christians. And I remember thinking as a kid, I had this in the back of many of my Bibles and I remember thinking, well, that's not true. Because if being a Christian means following Jesus, how come our, our nation, my home nation, looks the way it does? And you know what? If we went around Hong Kong, many people would say, yes, they are a Christian here in Hong Kong too. And then tomorrow they would go out and go to a Buddhist shrine or a Taoist temple or worship a Hindu god or say their prayers to Allah. Because we have become very, uh, what's called syncretistic here. We say that all these roads can lead to God and we can mix and match together. And Jesus is saying, no, no, that is not following me. Calling yourself my disciple is not the same as being my disciple. I've been joking I don't know if any of you enjoy golf, but I enjoy watching golf. I enjoy attempting to play the game, though I do not do it at all well. And this week in Hong Kong uh, is a very famous golfer. He's ranked number seven in the world. And did you know he's my brother? His name is Justin Rose. And he's my brother. And to prove it, I have a picture with him. I got to meet him on Friday. And then I met, my son met him yesterday. So clearly we're related, right? Just because we have the same last name and I say that I am the brother of a guy that stands like a foot taller than me. He's my brother. Does that make us brothers? No, just because I say Justin Rose is my brother does not in any way help me with the inheritance that might come if he wins this tournament today. That's how we treat Christianity, though. Oh, I know something about Jesus, so therefore I must be part of his family. That's not counting the cost. That's not carrying the cross and following where he has led. David Platt asks the question like this. He says, as you consider this argument, are you going to choose comfort or the cross? And the ramifications of each are vastly different. Because you see, comfort 
means that we can look out in a world desperately falling apart and hope somebody else deals with it. We can look out and we can say, I don't have time for that because I'm too busy building my happy little life right here. The cross invites absolutely no compromise. And I'm not going to be very popular this morning as we progress, but praise God, it's not me that needs to be unpopular. The words have already been spoken right here. The cross invites no compromise. What Jesus said was what Jesus meant. And it was as true today as it is, or it was as true then as it was, as it is now. I get that out. And so when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he meant it. It is truth. It not was truth. It is truth. But coming to him means following him with every aspect of life. On the front page of the New York Times yesterday was uh, at least the digital edition, and they're a very liberal newspaper to say the least, but was saying there is debate among the Vatican that it's time to be more inclusive. It's time to be more, another word that is very popular right now is tolerant. And that has pervaded into the Catholic Church. And don't be misled, those of us of the Protestant faith that we find ourselves in right here, we've done it as well. Those that are saying, you know, I've rethought everything the Bible says and we didn't understand. If you're going to, if you'll excuse me for just a minute, I'm going to trade off here. Okay. Let's see if we can go pop free for a little bit. But if the Catholic Church says we need to be more inclusive of how we welcome people living in sin into positions of ministry, which is ultimately what they're saying, and the church at large is saying, well, maybe that's not what God really meant. We have begun watering down the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we started this series, I walked us through the very basic truth of the gospel. And the gospel itself means what? Do you remember? It means good news. If we believe that Jesus Christ is not only the way, the truth, and the life, and that he is the exclusive way to access to the Father who is in heaven, who longs to adopt us as his sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, which that one's real. That's a real brotherhood, not this fictional one I have with Justin Rose. If we believe this, and if we believe that Jesus has invited us into eternal life, that where there will be eternally no more suffering, no more tears, there will be meaning and calling with us right now where we find ourselves, if we believe that the best news of all is that Jesus Christ, God became man and made his dwelling among us, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. If we believe all of these things to be true, they should shape how we live, right? Then how can we then say 
that he didn't mean what he said. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, and I don't claim to be, but that does not make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that we try to redefine scriptures to fit our agendas. But the world is constantly challenging us to do just that, to choose comfort. It would be easier not to deal with sin, Mike, than it would to count the cost and radically follow Jesus where I might not want to go. Yeah, it's always easier to sin. But it's never better. There's a difference. It's like opening up, and we've talked about this as well, it's like opening up a savings account. If you try to withdraw everything out of the savings account one week after you've opened it, you haven't enjoyed any of the benefits of that savings account. But if you wait a while, hopefully you've gotten a good interest rate. Hopefully you've continued to put into it and invest and grow that account and you'll see miraculous provision come out of it. Not miraculous, it's just simple economics. But you see things come out of it in the same way. If we invest in the life that Christ has invited us to live, it means comfort isn't our first priority. The cross is. Following Jesus wherever he lives is more important than making sure we're comfortable, successful, or popular. And statistics seem to indicate that usually we want at least one of those three things. We want to be comfortable, we want to be successful, and we want to be liked. And Jesus says, you know, if you follow me, the world's not going to get it. Because you're not going to compromise on the things that are truly important, but yet you're going to love people that don't understand you, and that makes no sense to them. And when something is confusing to people, what do human, humans do? They attack. Where do we find ourselves today? In a world where not enough Christ followers have counted the cost and said that there is nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, I will follow him. Listen to how Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer wanted us to understand that grace is expensive. It's free to us, but that didn't mean it was free, period. And he said it like this. He said, above all, it is grace because the life of God's son was not too costly for God to give in order to make us live. God did. Indeed, he gave him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Now, let me put this in perspective as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is reminding us that just because we are recipients of the free grace of God that leads to eternal life and the righteousness of God that we can call our own, it cost God his son who went to the cross for our sins, not his own. But Mike, 
Bonhoeffer was just an academic. He was just a writer. He, he doesn't understand what it's like to live in a world where there's great persecution and great political turmoil and great suffering of many kinds. Yeah, that's true, because he lived at the wake of World War II in a politically influential German family. But yeah, he didn't understand anything. No, you see, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was so gifted academically that he was on a great path toward professorship, but he felt this call to serve the Lord. And he had to convince his father that it was the right thing, even though his father was okay with his other son that was a doctor and with other family members that were successful. Dietrich, following God to being a priest or a pastor, was just incomprehensible. But Dietrich stuck with it. And then as World War II began to break out, Bonhoeffer received an opportunity to travel to Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where World War II had no effect of any tangible means compared with Germany, where the war was raging. And Bonhoeffer arrives there, and everyone said, whatever you do, stay here. Don't come home. It's too dangerous for you to come home. It's too dangerous for you to be back in Berlin and in Munich and traveling around. Because what did Bonhoeffer do? He didn't just write really good books. Wherever he went, he was training pastors. That was his role. He was pastoring a church while training other leaders. He was always gathering people alongside and teaching them about this concept of costly grace. So he gets to the safety of New York City. And for a while, he's enjoying life there. But there's a hole. And there's a discontent. There's a break of some sort that he can't quite understand. And he wrestles with this. Many people had gone out of their way to make this position available to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And after a period of time, Bonhoeffer looks at the dean of the school. He considers the cost of what he might be walking into. And he resigns his post at Union Theological Seminary and gets on a boat and heads back to war-torn Germany, where eventually he would be taken hostage and murdered. Why? Why would he do that? Because the grace of God was for all people. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer at the very core of his being, needed to make sure everyone he came in contact with in his homeland knew who Jesus Christ is and how to know him and follow him. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was committed to making life better for the German people, even to the point where he was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler himself. It was unsuccessful, and ultimately that's part of why Bonhoeffer was killed. But you see, when Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes these words of costly grace... He knew the cost. He counted the cost. And he said, there is nothing greater than being able to live and die following where Jesus Christ has me. Would we say that today? Is Christ our one thing? Or do we get too focused on other issues? Do we get too caught up in what's going on around us. Grace cost God his son. And then Jesus went on 
And he had the audacity to go further. Not only does he say, take up your cross and follow me, but go ahead and find yourselves in a world where filial piety, where honoring your father and mother is held in the highest of regards. And family is of great value. Does it sound like a society anywhere you can think of? Like maybe our own? And listen to what he says next. He says, if anyone comes to me, and these are difficult words, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. In Luke chapter 9, this, uh, Jesus taught this same thing in, in two different settings. And earlier, uh, the guy said, I will follow you, but let me go and bury my parents first. And, and then I'm yours, Jesus. Uh, now, we don't know. There's conjecture about how long it was going to take for the parents to pass away. Some estimated it was three to five years. It wasn't this long time. Others said that that was just a delaying tactic saying, I need to be there. I need to care for my parents and then I'll follow you. And Jesus' response was the same. Actually, it was even more blunt. Let the dead bury their own dead. Now, many of you have dealt with the loss of losing a father or mother. And is Jesus saying that those deaths are not significant? Uh, Those deaths are not important and that you should hate your parents in that way? No, that's not at all what he's saying. He's making it much simpler. He's saying, don't you dare value anyone more than me. I'm going to read you a graphic illustration of what this looks like in real life. And uh, I apologize. It's a painful look at what it means to value Christ more than family. But I want us to understand that there are people today living out this reality right now. And so bear with me. Uh, I had a a friend. I was uh, part of the missions program at Toccoa Falls College. And uh, I was part of the teaching English to speakers of other languages program. Uh, And there were seven of us in that program. I was the only guy. So I had six sisters in my class uh, for 75% of all my classes all the way through the second half of undergrad. One of those sisters that I had, her name was Michelle. She was a, a brilliant lady from Boston, so we didn't get along all the time because she's from the wrong city. Uh, but she went off and she got married to a man named Mike. And I, I don't know Mike. I've never met them. But they have undergone extreme personal tragedy this week. This week. This happened earlier this week, Okay. I want you to hear what it meant for them to live out that nothing matters than Christ in every situation. And this is from Mike himself. I want to share what happened so you can understand better how to pray for our family. And at the end of this, I I want you to commit. I've already committed our church to praying with the Bates family, so please do pray for them, and you'll understand why. My kids are wonderful, all of them. They are very obedient and always very willing to help their old man. I had asked them all to come outside and pick up trash in the inn parking lot. They're starting a bed and breakfast as we were preparing for guests. Everything was done except that. I walked out the door and got in my truck. 
Our door is in line with the back of the vehicles. Boston, my four-year-old son, being the wonderful and excited to help kid he was, ran out our door, beating his brothers and sisters and ran behind the truck. I didn't see him and I started to back up to hook the last trailer in the lot so I could move on. I ran over a bump and thought I hit the dog. I looked back and there was my boy, crushed. I picked up his lifeless body and ran to the door to yell for Michelle to call 911. Took him to the side of the building to hide from our other kids and performed CPR on him till the ambulance came. Michelle and I were, were with him that whole time. He was pronounced dead at the hospital. However, I know for a fact that his body was lifeless instantly. He didn't suffer in any way. Now listen to Mike's response. We take great hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do not curse him. We love him. We praise him in this time he has allowed us to be broken in hopes that we only point to Jesus and how good he is. We don't understand why this is happening, but we trust Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus, to take our sin upon himself so that we could have direct access to the throne of God. Jesus took the sin of the world, all of it, upon himself, and in death took it to the grave. Sin equals death. No sin equals life. Only Jesus was without sin. When he took all our sin upon himself at the cross and said, it is finished, he died. Took all sin, past, present, and future to the grave and left it there. Because he had no sin of his own, death could not hold him and there he rose again and is now back in heaven with Father God. He loved you and me that much. Having lost a second son now and as a father, I cannot truly identify but it must have been impossibly hard for God to crush his son. But it is because God loves us so much and wanted to be in relationship with us so much that he was willing to pay that price. In the moment of unescapable, unimaginable loss, Mike and Michelle counted all things as rubbish, saved from knowing Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Are they brokenhearted and desperately hurting? Absolutely. Boston was their son. But Jesus has shown himself powerful in the testimony that they have given and how they have proclaimed that God is good even in the most difficult of circumstances. You see, for them, when the question came, are we going to settle for maintenance or sacrifice for mission? They could have cried out and complained to God, and they have every right to do that. But instead, in this moment of great loss, they cried out and said, God, you are good and we trust you with this, and we will proclaim your name even in the midst of our pain. 
But what happens to us in churches is that instead of Jesus being the one thing, the one man, the one person that gets us through our most difficult of circumstances, we go everywhere else. Churches are great at that. We'll build big buildings. We'll make sure we have great programs. And we'll subtly take our eyes off the person of Jesus Christ. We'll subtly take our eyes off of the radical nature of him saying, everything else is rubbish but knowing me. Is everything else second to knowing me and the power of my resurrection and the fellowship of suffering with me? Mike and Michelle are suffering terribly right now, but instead of clinging on to their own reason, they're clinging on to Jesus Christ, who is the answer, knowing that they will be reunited with Boston someday for all eternity. This world is not all there is. And instead of lamenting, which they are lamenting, don't misunderstand, it is every bit okay for them to be broken, sad, and torn up at the loss of their son. But in that loss, they're also taking that opportunity to make sure people know who Jesus is. They're saying there's nothing more important than understanding that even in these moments, Jesus is all we need. My child was not my king and my God. Jesus is my king and my God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that he is the best news, worthy of being taken wherever we go, worthy of guiding us in any and all circumstances? Jesus had another statement. After that, and David Platt, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I'll go back. Oh, now I'm all lost. It's that kind of day. David Platt said it like this. Even more important than honoring the dead was proclaiming the kingdom to those who were dying. What does he mean by that? What does it mean that in so honoring the life of their four-year-old son that that people like Mike and Michelle would proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ to all those around them? It means when we walk around and when we worry so much about our own sickness, about our own frailty, if we don't remember that right now there are two billion people who have zero access to the good news of Jesus Christ, we have lost the plot. When Jesus Christ said, go to all nations, he used the word ethnos. Ethnos means people groups. There are 11,000 people groups found in the world today, roughly, give or take all sorts of numbers. Of those 6,000, more than half of them have never heard the gospel. Are we more concerned about maintaining status quo in relationships we have, or are we more concerned with carrying the gospel to those desperately in need of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ? That call compels us to live a different life. That call compels us to understand that while we face opposition, while living holy lives might not be popular, it is the right, the best, and the only way to live for all eternity. And people need to know there's a better way to live. People need to know there's a God who loves them. 
And I know some people say God accepts us just as we are, and that's partially true. But as he says there, he said, take up your cross and follow me. That means he expects us to be constantly growing to be more like himself. It means we don't stay where we are. To choose to do nothing when we know we have made the wrong decision is just as sinful. To choose to do nothing when we know there is a world in need of help and we could help is called the sin of omission. I call it the sin of comfort. We're so happy to maintain our lives that we've forgotten about the needs all around us. I want to give you an illustration. I'm trying very hard to make sure that we as a church are exposed to what God is doing, good and difficult. One of those is that we have to face the reality that prostitution and sexual slavery by default are legal in Hong Kong. Now, the government would not say that sexual slavery is legal here, but prostitution by default leads to sexual slavery. These women, these ladies, these children are owned often by a pimp. And there are more than one group that are working to set these captives free. And one of those groups is called Eden Ministry. Well, Eden Ministry has agreed to come join us. Like I said, we're going to have a special Sunday at camp next Sunday. And what they do, not only do they seek to free these women and these children from the bonds of sexual slavery, but they give them a trade. And the trade that Eden Ministry teaches them is how to make jewelry. And they make this beautiful jewelry. And so you'll have the chance to see that jewelry made by people that have been rescued and set free and introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. And you want me to ask them, what's your one thing? I bet you they'd know the answer. The one thing has set them free from a life of bondage. But for us, the one thing, the bondage, might seem so much smaller than theirs. So if you want to buy some jewelry next Sunday, great. If you just want to hear the story... Even better, most importantly, how can we get involved? How can we make sure that we understand there is nothing more important than proclaiming Jesus to a world in need of the truth? While we're told to be tolerant, we're told to be tolerant as long as everybody else can criticize us. And it's not us and them. Jesus Christ came inclusively to invite all who would call on his name to be saved. Everyone who would call on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. There's just one problem. Not everyone makes that choice or has been given that opportunity to hear. What will we do about it? How will we respond? This week... We celebrated on Wednesday, or I don't know if celebrates the right word as I've looked into the background of the festival, but it was Chung, Chung Yung Festival, and I'm sure I've pronounced it wrong. But right, that was on Wednesday. I call it Grave Sweeping Day because that's one of the things you do. It's ancestor worship, essentially. But in Chung Yung, uh, one of the many myths that came out of that were written that uh, a Taoist priest that had so been enlightened that he'd become immortal was walking uh, along with his, uh, his disciple named uh, Huan Jing. And they, they were taking a walk on the, uh, up, up a mountain. And at one point, the Taoist priest received this 
warning of some sort. And he gave it to Wang Jing, uh, saying that there was danger coming to his village on the ninth day of the ninth month, which if Chung Young, that's essentially what that means. And that he needed to rescue his family. And I think about that story, and sure enough, uh, the guy got his family. He took them up the side of the mountain drinking chrysanthemum tea, which, by the way, is the best tea. It's my favorite. So if you ever want to know which tea I like best, chrysanthemum, that's my favorite because it's sweet. Um, But he took them up with that and with a dogwood stick for whatever reason, and they walked up the hill, and they they were saved while the rest of the village was burned and everything was killed. Now, that's the myth. I don't know if any of that happened and is true. But think about that story with a gospel lens on it. Think about that story if instead of us celebrating that one man and his family were saved, that man went back down to the village and grabbed everybody and sought to rescue them all. C.T. Studd said it like this. Many are comfortable sitting on the sidelines. This is my impression. But he said, I want to be the guy running a rescue boat right to the gates of hell, rescuing everyone that I can. What does Jesus mean when he says that we've got to hate our brother and mother and child and even ourselves? It means that we've got to count everything as secondary and Jesus as primary. That there is nothing more important in how we live than making sure this world knows that there is a better way and we've got the answer. But I don't see churches acting like we believe that. I see churches kind of looking like, is he really that that important in my life? But when we really look at the truth, yes, he is. And here's the final point. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me go back and say goodbye to my family. They'd already been told, follow me. Jesus had invited them to follow him. And Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this idea of looking back has biblical history. Looking back wasn't usually something that was done with great favor. You remember in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were told one thing, keep moving forward toward the redemptive deliverance of God himself. And what does the wife do? She looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Here, after he said, let the dead bury their own dead, he's saying, don't look back. Look to me. Remember that I am better than anything you can hope for or imagine. That my ways have the answer for a world in cultural crisis. How is it that Mike can have friends that are struggling with adultery and they'll still talk to him? And I can still tell them that what they're doing is wrong. You know how that's happening? It's happening because they know I love them enough to walk with them, even though I completely disagree with their position on the matter. You know how I know that to be true? Because Jesus Christ became flesh, walked this earth, suffering earthly life, did it without sin, and then suffered on the cross so that I might be adopted as his brother and a son of the Most High God and enjoy that life and that inheritance forever. 
that cost him everything. And Jesus didn't look at me and tell me all the ways I have failed my family. I have failed as a human. I have failed in this or that. He said, yes, you have sinned. But now my blood has washed you whiter than snow. Now give that message away. Give that away to a culture that's broken. So will our lives be marked by an indecisive mind where we know what the right thing to do is? Because that's where Jesus, that's where this verse brings us to. If we look back, we're wondering, is this really the right thing to do? I don't know. Nine times out of ten, we actually do know. Should I talk to this person about Jesus? When is that ever no? Will I trust the Lord's discernment to give me the right opportunity to do it? Yes. Should we talk to them? Yes. We trust the Holy Spirit. Uh, Someone shared with me this morning that they hadn't done something in 20 years, but they'd wanted to pick it back up again and honor God with the gift that he had given them. And so after 20 years, it was very difficult to remember how to do this particular skill. But the the man came up to me and he said, but I prayed to God and I trusted that the Holy Spirit would empower me. And you know what? Every time I do it, I'm right back where I started in a good way. The Holy Spirit is giving me that freedom, freedom from pain and freedom to use my gifts for his glory. He could have wavered and said, I don't know if that's what God wants me to do with the gift. Or he could say, God, here's my life. I'll use it wherever you want because my heart is all yours. An undivided heart says for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. It's that simple. Sometimes we get caught waiting on God to tell us what to do for so long that when we do nothing, when all along the procrastination to go into all the world is right before us, that we become sinful by sitting and waiting. Think of it like this. What we value is often explained by how we interpret time. And if you have a meeting that is going to lead you to getting a monumentally massive raise, like if it's going to give you a 1,000% increase over what you currently make. And you're called into that meeting knowing this is coming. Are you going to be late for that meeting? Probably not, right? Some of you are awfully quiet. 4,000% increase or 1,000% You're not going to be late for that meeting. But yet we ask God to wait on us all the time when he has promised you the keys to the kingdom for all eternity and said, go in all the world and make disciples of all nations. Go chase people, whether it's next door or in the next world that we find ourselves. And we have access to all sorts of places. We have people working just across the border. We have people in Africa. We have people in North America, in Europe, in South America. We have access. Will we go where God invites us to go? Do we really believe that the best news of all is following Jesus Christ? And that living for him changes how we look at a world and changes how we interpret culture. 
No, I don't agree with someone that says they believe homosexual marriage is okay. But I will love them and walk with them through that. And I will keep pointing them back to Jesus unashamedly. I will let him speak the truth and I will do what he, ought, he guides me to do in those times unapologetically because nothing is more important than trying to make sure that person knows that they have a destiny with God. By not telling them, by saying, well, I don't want to offend them, you are nailing their coffin to hell. You realize that? But Mike, you don't understand. It's difficult. No, you know what's difficult? Hell. You know what's painful? Hell. And I'm sorry to speak with such bold... No, I'm not sorry. I would rather speak it now, knowing that my conscience is clear, that I have given you the truth of this text that says, don't we dare go out into all the world and not love people enough to tell them the reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. To do anything less wouldn't be to love them. It would be to hate them and not the way Jesus said. To do anything less would be to compromise the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's what the church has been doing. And we've got to stop. This world needs people that will stand up and risk it all for the glory of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went back to Germany. Mike and Michelle Bates praised God in the most painful of times. Hudson Taylor, facing more and more loss, kept coming back to China. What about us? What would we do now? First, let's pray. Look around the world and ask God to open our eyes to the needs right around us. And maybe we have the potential to meet a physical need of someone near us. Don't wait and ask God, would you have me do it? Do it. Maybe there's a hard conversation that needs to be had. Ask God. Trust that he will give you the words. He told his disciples, when you're facing opposition, I will speak on your behalf. The counselor will speak on your behalf. We pray. And then we participate. We look for where God is at work. Get involved in GID. Get involved in trips we take wherever God leads us. Get involved in loving on our children's ministry, loving in our seniors, in our adult ministry, in whatever God invites you to. Love your neighbor, but find ways to get involved. Participate financially with what God has given you, knowing that that can be used to make a difference in lives that can send a young missionary, a 21-year-old, to a restricted access country for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God by proclaiming him to people that have never heard. How can we participate? And that's just a couple ways. Use your gifts for the glory of God. Finally, proclaim. When Jesus invited followers to follow him, He also then told them to go out and proclaim me wherever you go. He told them it might not be easy. Paul tells us time and again, you will face trials. You will face suffering. But consider it pure joy when we face trials of any kind. Why? Because the grace of God that cost Jesus everything is the same grace that we get to offer to others for free. It says you can live forever with purpose, with hope, with meaning, with joy. 
because of what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to redefine gender. You don't have to redefine marriage. You get to look at the person of Jesus Christ and know that he loves you and he invites you into a life with him forever. Will we count the cost? Is he our one thing? I pray that he is. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be the church that carries you. We might not be big in number, but with us, you've given us the distinct opportunity to carry your name wherever you take us, whether it's to our employers, our employees, our friends, our coworkers, or those in an unreached people group that we don't even know exist. Lord, please find us faithful with your message, not our own agenda. Help us to carry your cross and go where you lead us to go. In your name, amen.